is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For this episode, I chat with Telly Leung, and we talk about his early inspirations into the entertainment industry, and we take a very deep dive turn into producing. So I hope you enjoy this part one with Telly Leung. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe, and today with me on Zoom is Telly Leung. Telly, thank you for joining me today. Hi, Clayton. How are you? I'm fantastic. I can't wait to talk about the numerous Broadway shows you've been a part of. Um, I really just want to take it back to the beginning of time for Telly. What were your entertainment dreams growing up? Oh, gosh. You know, I I don't know. I, I remember being a little kid. And I remembered a, a cousin of mine actually gifted me a VCD. I don't know if you remember those, but those were sort of like before DVDs. Okay. Um, uh, and, and sort of like, it was like the phase between VHS and DVD. They were called video CDs, VCDs. And I got a VCD of Madonna's Blonde Ambition Tour. Okay. Which was recorded in Japan. And I feel like as a little kid, I remembered like, having like a play microphone and like singing along and like learning all of the dance moves. So like my showbiz dreams, I think early on in my life were, you know, as an eighties and nineties kid were, was Madonna, Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston, you know, um, Janet Jackson, Paul Abdul, you know, it was, it was, it was those kinds of dreams, you know? Sure. And so it wasn't necessarily musical theater. So it to really speak. wasn't like, I think I, my introduction to musical theater sort of happened by accident, you know, I, I grew up in a pretty traditional Chinese home. My parents were sort of tiger parents. I sort of had a tiger mom who very much stressed the importance of academics. And I wasn't allowed to watch cartoons after school. The only I could watch cartoons on a Saturday, but not after school. I had to do my homework and I could only watch educational TV. So I watched a lot of PBS. Okay. And um, one day on PBS, great performances was on and I watched Into the Woods. And I think yeah. that was my first that was my first introduction to theater yeah. really and i was like oh what is this what, what these i know these characters they're all fairy tale characters mm -hmm. and i said and wait there's these people sitting in a theater and they're this is live what's happening like that was sort of my first exposure to it i was eight years old wow. you know so that's when i sort of musicals were sort of on my radar but really my introduction to music was all of those 80s and 90s artists mm. that i would sing along to on the radio and you know and and um and also my dad had this incredible LP collection from the 70s. He came to New York City in 1975 and, you know, he really learned English by immersing himself in pop culture. So yeah. his LP collection was this was all of this American music, like 70s American music. It was like sure. the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, Casey and the Sunshine Band, the Bee Gees, Linda Ronstadt, you know, Simon and Garfunkel, oh, yeah. James Taylor. Like that was all. So that's sort of where my musical vocabulary comes from. I love that. What, what did your parents teach you about, about work ethic? Ah, work ethic. Well, it's interesting. My, my parents, uh, my parents are, were originally from China. And then they eventually had a sort of a harrowing journey. They were part of a generation of people called freedom swimmers. They actually swam from communist China to Hong Kong to seek political refuge. It's a seven hour swim. I mean, it's, it's, but it's, it's an incredible story. And yeah. there's actually a whole generation of people that escaped the, the cultural revolution in China to go to Hong Kong because Hong Kong was a British Commonwealth at the time. Mm -hmm. When they got to Hong Kong, they realized, oh gosh, like this, you know, as, as much as they, um, it, 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 Hong Kong was also a difficult place to sort of start a life. They knew that they really wanted to come to America. Mm -hmm. And so um, for them coming to America, you know, was 
just possibility, you know? Uh, and, and so coming to it, they, they came with 200 bucks in their pockets and, you know, a couple of suitcases and they crashed on friends' couches on Mott Street in Chinatown in New York. And for them, you know, if they, in America, it was possible if you worked hard and you saved your money, you could have all of those things that you could not have in China. Mm. A, a house that you called your own, a car, putting your kid through college, all of those things that they were able to afford and, and give me, you know? Mm. And so... From, I, I know that my mom, you know, she worked very long hours as a seamstress in Chinatown. Uh, then she would take herself to night school, whether that was learning English or it was learning pattern making or, you know, sort of bettering herself in the fashion world. Sure. And my dad worked really long hours in Chinese restaurants. And he sort of started, you know, washing dishes in the very beginning, eventually mm. worked, worked his way up to a waiter, worked his way up to a manager, owned his own restaurant for a little bit, which didn't do very well. And then he ended up retiring as a, a manager of, of Chinese restaurants. But, you know, when you work in a restaurant and it's, you know, Mother's Day rush, it's all hands on deck. So my dad was the manager, but you better believe my dad was, you know, bussing tables when they needed an extra hand because that was the work ethic. And I remember my, my parents being immigrants in New York City. Mm. You know, every, every kid of color in America, I feel like, has the talk with their parents. Mm. You know, they get pulled aside and they... And they the, you know, you're, you're told, A, that life isn't fair, mm. right? That, like, even though there is this, you know, even though you're going to say the Pledge of Allegiance every day in class, you're going to say liberty and justice for all, that there are different rules mm. for people of color in this country. Mm. And that you, you might have to work harder than those people around you <laughs> um, that are part of the majority. And yeah. that there are going to be people, not everyone, but there are going to be people that look at your skin color and make certain uh, preconceived notions about you, purely not even knowing you, but purely based on your skin. Mm. And so you might just have to work a little harder and give them no reason to deny you an opportunity or a job. And I felt mm. like that that talk, I remember having that, I remember that talk very vividly as a little kid, mm. you know, growing up in Brooklyn, you know, we, there was, which is a pretty diverse neighborhood compared to other parts of, of, of America. Right. But, mm -hmm. but growing up in Brooklyn, I grew up in a predominantly Italian and Irish neighborhood at the time. It's very heavily Asian. Now there's a lot more Chinese and Korean immigrants there. Mm. Um, but, um, but at the time I was, you know, I would say there were a quarter of the kids in my class of 30 were Asian, mm. you know, um, the rest of the kids were white. So, you know, it's, it's just a very, I, I know my parents were trying to prepare me for sort of, right, like you're, you are a minority in this country. You're a person of color in this yeah. country. And there are people that are going to treat you differently because of it. Oh, thank you for sharing that. And along that vein, what did your parents teach you about kindness? Particularly maybe coming up against that. Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I think that uh, the kindest person I know on this planet is my mother. Uh, you you really won't meet anybody who's who's sweeter and kinder and able to sort of um, you know I remembered I remembered my mom you know and and I and I think I learned kindness through her example I remember coming out to her was very difficult mm. and I, I was very nervous how do I come out to my traditional Chinese parents where you know first of all they I'm an only child. I'm an only Chinese son in a culture where sons are supposed to not only take care of the parents but deliver another son to carry on the name that's just culturally you know chinese you know right. that's just filial piety and confucius and all of that Con you know confucius family structure and all of that and that's something that my parent that's what my parents know mm -hmm. so me coming out of the closet and saying hey mom and dad i'm gay i'm going to be with a man for the rest of my life and i might not be able to give you all of those chinese grandchildren you want you know i was very nervous 
about that. And I remembered when I did finally tell my mom, it took my dad a little longer, but my mom said, my mom having worked in fashion, you know, she went from not knowing how to sew to eventually working with some of the top designers in New York. She just worked her way up in the fashion world. You know, I remember sitting next to her in Bryant Park for Fashion Week and being so proud of her mm. and her journey. But like she says, oh, Telly, she's like, I work with Badgley Mishka. You know, I work with Isaac Mizrahi. I know gay people. People, people are just people. And so like uh, just knowing that even my mom growing up with not having very many gay people around her in China or in Hong Kong or even in New York, you know, uh, but her expo her kindness and her exposure to that, her compassion to that, her ability to see people yeah. for people um, was something was a sort of love and grace she showed me. And, um, uh, you know, it's something that I've, I've sort of learned by example through her, really. People are just people. I, right. Yes. I love that. I love that. Um, so moving along in life, uh, was there a very specific defining moment where you were saying to yourself, yes, I'm going to pursue, you know, live theater performing, you know, music. Yeah, there are, there were, um, there were several moments. I think the first moment was, you know, I, again, having sort of strict traditional Chinese parents who wanted me to go to Harvard, be a doctor, get married to a nice Chinese girl and give them Chinese babies. <laughs> None of the above happened, by the way. Um, that they, you know, I, I ended up going to a, a pretty prestigious math and science high school in New York City called Stuyvesant High School. And I, I, it was at Stuyvesant where I was surrounded by another, you know, there's 700 kids in class. I was surrounded by another like 600 kids who were like, loving going to biology class to dissect a frog and you know they couldn't wait to get yeah. to the chemistry lab to like mix chemicals and and you know all of that and i yeah. i remember i was like i i don't yearn for that at all i'm good at it like i i can certainly i'm a good student and i can learn anything but i was like i don't see the world through that prism you know the, the analogy i always gave was like you know like uh, we'd look out the window of a classroom and a leaf would change color and that leaf would like fall off a tree mm -hmm. right and like i had some friends who would like know exactly the biochemical reaction that would cause that leaf to change color and like fall off there and i had some friends who were like physics majors who are now engineers who are like oh yes the the force of the velocity of the wind is blowing the leaf this way and it's gonna gravity is gonna pull it this way and i looked at the leaf and i was like oh i hear a song and i hear a poem and i feel sad about this leaf dying but it means that there's going to be new leaves come spring and i so i feel joy like i saw the world in stories and music and and so in that highly academic environment i i sort of felt a sense of not belonging and i found a sense of belonging doing theater after school, mm. you know, where I, which to me, the theater is still, um, as is the most inclusive place you can be as a, as a human being, you know, mm. uh, the, I, well, most theater anyway, good theater should be that, right. you know, theater communities. I think it's still what draws me to being in this community as tough as showbiz is. Sometimes I, mm. I still go, gosh, why do I do this? Oh, I do it because of the people. Yeah. And I do it because I believe that this place has the power to, um, to be inclusive to include everyone. You know, the theater is the one place, you know, where everybody can have a job. There's a job for everyone. And you don't have to sing and dance and be a performer. You can, if, you're, if, if your skills and your talents are, are a visual, you can paint sets, you can design sets, you can be a lighting person. Mm. If you don't have any of those talents, you can take tickets in the, in mm. the box office. You can be an usher. You know, every person's job in the theater is valued and important. And to me, that's, that's sort of like the world I want to live in. Mm. Um, and, and so I think that's, that's really where I sort of had the aha, that mm. this is sort of where I want to spend my time, not dissecting frogs and mm. not in a physics and not in a chemistry lab. 
as you as you started to you know take it more seriously any were there any early mentors that gave you any particular pieces of memorable standout advice yeah um i have a i had a high school theater teacher who at stuyvesant again which was a math and science high school his normal job was teaching engineering and mechanical drafting and av he volunteered his time after school to direct the high school musicals just because he loved musicals so much. His name was Mr. Grasso. He's no longer with us, Vinny Grasso. Mm-hmm. And I remember he gave me the most important lesson about uh, the theater, uh, which is exactly sort of what I just said, that every mm-hmm. person's job is important. So Telly, you're talented. You're going to be singing and dancing. You're going to be probably the star of the show mm-hmm. at some point. But know that your job is not any more important than that person's job who whose only job is to sweep the stage every night you are no more or less important than that person who is giving you lights in the in the in the you know up 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 in the booth you're no more or less important than that person who's taking tickets every night because the theater doesn't function without all of these people you know so it's important for you to give each person the respect that they're due for the job that they're doing Mm -hmm. and that that's real collaboration to me and that that lesson has really carried me a really long way uh, as far as as far as being a, a, a working professional goes, um, and the other person that I that I have to give a shout out to, who I know has been a guest of yours, is Billy Porter. Mm-hmm. You know, Billy Porter was actually a director, uh, a teacher, and a director at Carnegie Mellon while I was there. And I remember, you know, at Carnegie Mellon, you go through a four year acting program where, you know, there's this wonderful thing that makes you unique and special, and that's why you get admitted to that school. And then once you get admitted to a, 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 an institution like that, a conservatory like that, they go, great, we're going to strip you away of all of that, and we're going to teach you the right way to move, the right way to talk, the neutral way to speak, the neutral way to walk. And, you know, so like, right. and then, of course, you learn all of that new, neutrality in order to, like, then be able to put other things on, like accents and dialects and physical centers and stuff like that. So, right. but then, like, your senior year comes, and they go, okay, great, remember that really special thing thing that got you into the school in the first place now remember what that was even though we tried to strip you of it for four years Mm. and like that's what you're gonna do at showcase to show the rest of you know this the rest of show business after you graduate right and i remember billy as the as sort of the working actor coming in to direct a show and here i was i was playing bobby and company for him in my senior thesis show and and he pulled me into his office and he said telly what are you doing he's like I, I never worry about hearing you from the back row of the theater because you have impeccable voice and speech training. You have impeccable um, movement training. He's like, understand that all of that training is for you to then let it go. And it allows you to be who you are as an individual. So he's like acting. I know that like you've spent four years here learning the right way to act, the right way to speak, the right way to listen. Just talk. Just listen. Don't worry about what's right. Know that and trust that all of that training you've had over the last four years will allow you to do that in a very free and present way. But really in this scene, acting is simple. It's just talking and listening. So just talk and listen. Don't worry about the right way to talk and listen. Just do it. Just talk and listen. And and it was such a simple idea. And yet I went, oh, he's totally right. And that is that is sort of um, that's a lesson that now that I teach and I direct, you know, students all the time, like I it's something that I try to give my students as well. You know, I love it. I absolutely love it. The going from understudying to leading a show. Are there any common themes among the top performers that you've witnessed? Does anything come to mind? Yeah, uh, the first two shows I understudied very much so. I I understood that I was there to uh, as as an insurance policy for the show. The show must go on, <laughs> and if and if the person I understudied were to get sick, I am there to fill a hole for the sure. night, mm-hmm. right? 
it wasn't until I understudied at Rent, which was my third time understudying on Broadway, that um, I, I went on for Angel for the first time. And again, with that same mentality of I'm here to like keep the show going, I'm here to function, I'm here to like adjust to everybody else's show. That my that Michael Greif and the director of Rent and also my resident director Evan Ensign was like, Telly, what are you doing? And I said, Well, I'm understudying. I'm here like filling the hole for the night. I'm here like you know making sure the show goes on. They're like, No, 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 no. This show doesn't work that way. They're like, I don't know what you've heard understudying in other shows. They're like, But in this show, this show is nothing but tables, chairs, and lights and like people. And if you're not doing you, that audience is not going to buy it. So they're like, I don't want you to understudy and do somebody else's angel. You really have to find your own angel. You have the permission to do that, to own this role in a way. And it is upon, you, upon the rest of the company to adjust to you. It's upon the rest of the company who does the show eight times a week to adjust to your performance because mm -hmm. and, and, and give you a, a nice cushion of landing for you to make choices mm -hmm. and know that you have the support of this company. You have the support of the director and the resident director and this company for you to own this role in your way and find your individual way through it. And mm -hmm. so it was actually very, um, and I think that really prepared me for sort of taking on my own, you know, originating roles myself going, mm -hmm. oh, he's, they're absolutely right. Like, and, and, and trusting that the rest of the company will have me, mm -hmm. you know, if I make a different choice, if I get a laugh on a different line, you know, I, I just know that, that that they'll be there with me. Yeah. The permission that you bring up. I'm curious, how has permission for yourself changed from performing to producing and creating? Well, I, I think I quickly realized that as you know, as as you work more and more in show business, you sort of realize that there is a hierarchy of power and influence that happens. And for, you know, of course, I love to perform and I love to act and, and sing and make music and create characters. But in, in, but take that, take the love of that away in just the business of show business, mm. actors and performers are at the bottom of the food chain, mm. right? They're, they are work for hires. Mm -hmm. They are guns for hire. So like, you know, and you are constantly fulfilling the vision of other people. That's just the way it works. It's not good or bad, but it's just the it's just the way that show business works. You know, as an actor, I am here to, here to fulfill the author's intention. I'm here to fulfill the director's vision. And yes, I have influence over that in rehearsal and good directors and good authors will go, Telly, I want to hear what you think. Mm -hmm. And they'll hear my input. But ultimately, I'm not the one that calls the shots. Um, ultimately, if a director disagrees with what it is that I'm bringing to a character, th that's the person that 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 wins that battle, right? right. So um, I, I realized that in order for me to make the theater that I want to be able to make and tell the stories I want to be able to tell and work with the artists I want to work with, I have to be the one in charge. So that that's really how producing started. Was that I went, oh. Like this, this isn't going to, this thing that I really want to do isn't going to happen unless I find a way to produce it. Mm. What was that? So, when was that? Where were you? What was that decision? Did it come easy? Yeah. The first thing that I ever produced was my own solo album, actually. Uh, and um, I remember, I, I had never thought, again, I had never thought permission, right? I'd never thought that like I was going to, uh, that I would be, uh, who would buy an album of Telly Leong songs? I never thought that that was a thing. Mm -hmm. And it and it was right before I was going to go out of town with Allegiance. 
And in Allegiance, you know, there are three people on the poster. It's Leia Salonga, who has a ton of albums. George Takei, who is George Takei, and he has books to sell. And ultimately, my drummer for many, many years, his name is Michael Kreuter. And we've done, I, you know, I'm a club act. I do my club act, and I'm a cabaret artist. He's been my drummer for 10 years. He goes, Telly, he's like, you, you're about to go do this show with George and Leia, and you have nothing to sell in the lobby as far as merchandise. He's like, you know, Leia's going to have albums to sell. George is going to sell his book. You have nothing to sell. And I was like, well, I don't know. Who's going to buy an album from me? He's like, it's not about that. He's like, if people come see Allegiance and they can't get enough of you and they want to take a little bit of you home, why are you not giving them something that they can take home with them? And I was like, oh, that's a really brilliant thought. And I thought about myself being a fan of, mm -hmm. you know, theater artists. You know, if I saw Billy Porter in a show, I'd buy his album. If I saw Betty Buckley in a show, I bought her album in the lobby. That was just, that was just what we did, right? right, if, right. I, if I saw, you know, if I saw the Indigo Girls live, I would go, I don't have that album yet. I'm going to buy it mm -hmm. and buy a T-shirt, you know, because I want to take home a little bit of that experience. Mm -hmm. Michael is uh, Cheetah Rivera's musical director, and he also has a wonderful small little indie label at the time called Yellow Sound lab he had cheetah on the label he had alan cumming on the label he had chris jackson eventually now you know he he was producing all of these small albums for for theater artists mm -hmm. eventually he started producing cast albums he did the allegiance cast album he was nominated for the grammy for the matilda cast album so he says telly i don't have anybody like you on the label he's like so i would love to do an album he's like I would even, I will even do it. I will even make it work for as little money as possible. I'll play on the album for free. I'll, I'll do some editing and, and, and stuff and mixing for it for free because I want you to have something. Mm. Um, but he's like, you have to raise a little bit of money for it. And I went, I don't know how to do that. I'm an actor. I don't know how to raise money. Um, right. And eventually uh, my associate, the, the, one, of the, one of the producers on Godspell, Godspell, which was the show I was working on at the time, Hunter Arnold, he actually said, Telly, you can do this. And he gave me sort of crash course producing 101. All of that stuff that nobody teaches you in acting school. Like, mm. what is an LLC? Why do I need one? Mm. How do I, like, how, wh wh how, why do I need to call an accountant? Yeah. Like, what's a what's a L? Like, all of those things that you go, gosh, why didn't they teach me this right. <laughs> at Carnegie Mellon? This is so important to have as an actor. And I felt like in that one afternoon, I remember sitting with Hunter Arnold in his office, um, and, and he had a white, you know, a whiteboard that he would like draw things on and like, and, 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 and sort of give me a diagram. And I, and looking back, I was like, oh, I just got, I felt like I got like a, a, my MBA in one afternoon. He gave me like the crash course in how to raise money, how to produce, why it's important to produce, why, it's, you know, so, yeah. um, and I, it was, it was an, it was a gift and an act of kindness. I felt like from those two people, you know, from Michael Kreuter and from Hunter Arnold. What were some of the, things if you're willing to offer them up that hunter was saying to you in that one afternoon were there any standout little pieces of anything that come to mind in terms of fundraising maybe or yes uh there you know there is um you know i, I think many people many act especially actors I, I will say get very nervous when it comes time to talk about money Right. And this is why we have agents and managers who negotiate for us. We, we just want to focus on the art. We don't want to deal with the money part. We don't want to right. deal with the contract part. Just make sure the check clears. Just make sure I can pay my bills at the end of the month. Right. Mm -hmm. um, an event. But however, if you want to be sort of entrepreneurial as an actor, and I think every actor should be entrepreneurial because you're basically your own business mm -hmm. um you, you know you have to start thinking of yourself as a business mm -hmm. and that means that you're going to also have to find investors and i know that that word is very scary for 
for actors because when you think investment, you also think return on investment. Oh gosh, what if I don't make this money back? What if I, and then you, and then I, Hunter said, listen, there are going to be people who are investors who, go, who are going to be very hard on you about how am I going to make my money back? Is this album going to sell? Am I going to be able to make it back? When do you, when do I want it back? And he's like, and then there are going to be people who are investing and th what they want in return is not money. Because either be either because that they are they already have a lot of it from whatever job it is that they have. Right. Some people are going to want to invest money because they want to just be a part of something, right? And that's the thing, Telly. You are you are part of a community where there are so many people in the world who who look in. They're literally peering through the glass, going, "How do I get in to this wonderful these merrymakers, these theater folks right. who make art and make music and have community?" Some people in the world are. You know, they might have wonderful jobs in, in finance, in whatever it is that they have, in banking, in, in real estate that might, that, might, that might give them many, many dollars in the bank. Mm -hmm. So the dollars in the bank is actually a resource that they, that they already have. They can access it mm -hmm. readily, right? They don't think about money. Right. Actor, however, they may be missing access to community. They may be missing access to artistic fulfillment mm -hmm. they may be missing um a, a sense of being a part of something bigger than them they have all the money in the world they don't worry about that but they don't have that that yeah. thing that i have for free because it is what i do right. right so that idea of going well some people are also just going to want to invest for the access to that so if you can give that person that they're going to feel a return on that investment that they won't be able to put a price tag on mm. ever they're going to they're being a part of something keep, you know keeping them keeping them updated and oftentimes i did the every album i've ever produced you know and listen i'm going to be really honest you know uh, when i produce a, a theater album i go listen i, I don't know when i'm going to be able to return 100% of this investment on it i i just don't, you know i'm not right. taylor swift i'm not <laughs> i don't know if i'm you know what i mean like yeah, uh, right. you know this theater album is sort of a, an extension of my brand it is again it's 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 more of a marketing tool than it is anything but i promise you like you will have you, you you're, we will make music together mm -hmm. you're not just cutting a check and oftentimes my investors do sit in the studio with me mm -hmm. you know they're at my gigs with me there's i've made them part of the community my band knows them mm. you know and um and and knows that they're a vital part of us being able to make music together and continue making music together so i think it's also about that as well You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening.